0: This has been an incredible week. Last year, I really struggled with fasting, but uh, I determined I was going to do better this year. And um, so back in November, I stopped eating chocolate. Now, you might think that's not relevant, but it is, because I ate chocolate every day. I ate Cadbury's dairy milk. I'm addicted to it. Well, I was. (laughs) Don't bother with all these nice you know, Swiss chocolates, just a bar of Cadbury's dairy milk. I'm a cheap date. It's just just a bar of Cadbury's dairy milk, three for a pound in Tesco's garages. (laughs) (coughs) And I decided it was giving me such bad cravings and I was so sluggish I needed to stop. Having done that back in November, (coughs) and I've had occasional chocolate muffin at, at fruit but apart from that apart from that I haven't and I just it was so much easier going into a fast when you've actually dealt with some of the stuff in your back food makes you so sluggish and so if you want to um, consider if you struggled a bit this time and you want to think about the next fast start thinking about it now start rearranging things and I one of the things I love about fasting when I can really get into it is that it just illuminates everything it's like someone's really, really cleaned my glasses and someone's really cleaned out my ears and I'm so alert and I hear and see things in a way that you don't because food actually does, you know, we know that we eat far too much. We all eat more than we need and actually, if we could actually recognise what that does to us and once you've had an experience like you've had this week, you kind of want to bottle it, don't you? And You think, oh, when I need it, I'll have a bit of that. And I think that, you know, for those of you who can, and there's no condemnation, but for those of you who can, think about, you know, fasting for next time. And whether you do one day, one meal, five days, two days, it doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that what you're doing is unto God. And uh, I know that God is going to speak to us this morning. Um, I know that because Mark and Adam have already preached some of my sermon. (laughs) And they didn't know what I was going to speak about they didn't know what god had put in my heart mark just gave me the passage and as i've been seeking god and waiting on god for this next passage in ruth there's so much in it it's so rich there's so much in it about god's love about god's kindness about god's tender-heartedness that i think he wants to speak to us about this morning <coughs> excuse me and if we just look at it against the background of the last 2 weeks um, in the book of Ruth, we know that Elimelech made the decision to move his wife and his two sons to Moab, and we know that he did that because of famine in the land. And we know that both he and his sons died, and left Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws. And we read in chapter six that Naomi, when Naomi heard, sorry, um, chapter one, verse six, we know that when Naomi heard that the famine, um, there was no longer famine uh, in Bethlehem, she decided she would go back there. And so um, (coughs) we heard last week that Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, stayed and we heard that Ruth went with her um, uh, to return. And so I want to pick up the story there in chapter 1 and verse 19. And what I want to talk about this morning is returning to rebuild, returning to rebuild. (coughs) So Ruth, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 says, so the two of them continued on their journey And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the mighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. Next one. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now there was a wealthy man, an influential a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was the relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. I just want to focus on these few verses this morning. There's so much in there <coughs> and as far as time allows oh oh there's the clock. I was gonna say it's hidden behind that no, there it is. <coughs> as far as time allows Uh, um, I want to explore some of this. (laughs) Mark made the point a couple of weeks ago that they'd ended up in Moab because of wrong decisions. He said that, you know, they lived in Bethlehem, which was the house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread, where they had been fruitful, but famine had taken hold. And that word famine, it means hunger or suffering. So a time of hunger or suffering had come upon that place. Um, And so they had made a logical and... And, and perhaps a, a natural decision to move away from that place of hunger and suffering instead of looking to God. They'd made that choice and decision to move away and they'd taken matters in their own hands. You know, when we find ourselves in a place of discomfort, it's automatic to want to move. When I, uh, In the work that I do, people often talk about cancer as a fight or a battle. You know, I've got to fight this, I've got to win It talks about overcoming. People use it in that sense of overcoming. People do not want to stay. We don't want to stay in a place of discomfort or suffering. It's automatic for us to want to move away. But what is what the problem here was, instead of consulting God in their suffering and in their discomfort, they made their own choices about what they would do to move away. And one might say, well, it's quite sensible if there's famine in the land to move away because there isn't sufficient there. Um, so, so Naomi was there because of a family decision and sometimes we find ourselves in a place because of a decision that someone else has made and we haven't made that decision we haven't taken that choice sometimes other people's decisions put us in a place of suffering or put us in a place of discontent and it might not be immediate family it might be several generations back that have moved the family or have moved you and now you find yourself in this place of suffering or your discomfort or hunger and you didn't choose that place. Somebody else chose it for you and now you're reaping the consequences. You know, um, I don't think sometimes we realize the consequences on next generations of the decisions we make now. As parents, sometimes we, and I'm not a parent as you know, but sometimes Parents can make decisions and choices to do things without consulting God. And although they might reap the consequences in their lifetime, they don't consider the consequences for the generations after that and how that might pan out for them. Um, So they were trying to seek comfort from the suffering by moving from one place to another without consulting God. And when we do that, it rarely brings comfort because the motives we used for doing it were wrong. Um, One of the things I've observed in life is that people would rather ignore or run away from problems than stand and confront them. Mm. And that's the thing. Sometimes we would rather just run away because our body wants comfort. For those of you who fasted this week, you know your body wants comfort. Your body was probably crying out all week, give me food. And you were saying no. You know, we, we, want to, we, want, we don't like to sit in that discomfort and so we would rather move away because for some of us our security is built around our stability. We want to stay where we are, we want to know where we're at. We want to be in control and Mark brought this out earlier on in what he said. We want to be in control of situations and circumstances because, uh, because uh, then we feel that actually we will be able to control what uh, happens around us. We cannot control what happens around us. We can sometimes not even control what happens to us. I had a situation a few weeks ago where one of my colleagues came to me. Because of something that had happened at work, she came to me to resign. And I really felt the Holy Spirit come on me. And, and I mean, I don't normally do things like this, but I really felt the Holy Spirit come on me. And I said, why do you want to resign? And she said, because of this and this and this that's happened and it's made me afraid. Now, this girl is not a believer in the same way that I am, but does know God. And I felt God say to me, no. And I said to her, no, I won't accept your resignation. You've got to deal with your fear. You've got to deal with your fear because you can resign from this and you can run away, but you can't run away from your fear. Your fear will follow you into your next job and your next job and your next job. I will not accept your resignation. You must deal with your fear. And she looked at me... (laughs) And she said, uh, okay, now she was going off for a few days, so I said, think about it, and we'll talk about it when you come back. And it it was a longer conversation than that, but that was the gist of it. And she came back after her days off, and we discussed it again, and she said to me, uh, you know, no, I won't resign. I've dealt with it. I've faced it. I've dealt with it. And what we don't realize is that if we don't deal with what God has got on our plate today, you'll face it again. Such is God's love for us. Such is God's love for us, that if we don't face the challenges and what's happening in our world today, it will just follow us to the next place. You cannot run away from it. You can run, but you can't hide. It will find you. It will catch up with you in another scene, in another scenario, in another place. And we have to deal with those things that cause us discomfort. And God uses those times of discomfort and suffering to teach us things. We can react to our circumstances and allow what we see to dictate to us, and 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 do something without consulting God. When in fact God is trying to teach us something in that circumstance. We read in generation uh, uh, generation. We read in Genesis twenty six that um, <coughs> there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that were there was in the day of Abraham. And Isaac went um, unto Abimelech. Uh, King of the Philistines unto Gera, And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I will tell thee. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you and will bless you. And then going on to verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Now this was Isaac facing a famine, deciding to run away. And God said, No, don't don't go down to Egypt. What does Egypt represent? The world, the world world and slavery. Don't go back to the world and your logical decisions and your rational, rational reasoning to get away from this famine. God said, stay here, stay in this land and sow. You can sow in a time of famine. You can reap in a time of famine. And Isaac sowed in the land and he received a hundredfold. When we are in that situation where circumstances around us are causing us to want to run, God is saying, Stay and I will still bless you. Stay and I can still work with you. Isaac sowed in a time of famine and reaped a hundredfold. It is nothing to do with your circumstances, it is all to do with God's hand on your life. The safest place to be is where God has put you, where God wants you, because God can order circumstances around you in such an extraordinary way that we can't believe. It is not God's way of dealing with us is not dictated to by where we live, by our financial disposition, by our surrounding, by our circumstances. God does works through our circumstances, but God will not be limited by our circumstances. God will not be limited by our circumstances. And when we find ourselves in that place where we feel our backs against the wall and we're cornered, God doesn't want us to run away. God doesn't want our logical reasoning. God doesn't want us to think it through. Um, God wants us to what? God wants us to surrender. And both Mark and Adam alluded to that this morning. God wants us to surrender in that place. He wants us to give up. Gerar, um, that word Gerar means lodging place. So God said to Isaac, "Stay in this lodging place. Stay here, and so stay here and do what I'm telling you to do. Don't run away. The best place to do what I want you to do is right here, in the time of famine, in your situation and your circumstances. The difference here is that Isaac was prepared to defy logic and natural reasoning, and listen to what God was saying." Uh, if we go back into um, Ruth, um, into, into the book of Ruth, the women said uh, when they saw when they saw um, Naomi and uh, Ruth come back, "Is it Naomi? Is it really Naomi?" They said, and she said, "Don't call me Naomi. She said instead, call me Mara." Now, these guys had sat out the famine; they were still there. Yeah, that's true. They were there from the beginning. They were there, otherwise how would they recognize her? Yeah, that's right. They knew Naomi before when there was no famine in the land. They knew Naomi from when she lived in Bethlehem before. Yeah. And they're saying, is that Naomi? Like we might say, oh is that somebody come back to Bromley? Yeah. We were here all along. Yeah. But they left and came back. So those people who stayed in Bethlehem saw out the famine and they were still alive. Yeah. Yeah. They were still alive, they saw it through, they didn't die because of famine but Naomi and Abimelech decided to leave so she said instead call me Mara for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me I went away full but the Lord has brought me home empty you know what when things go wrong the first person we blame is God it's God's fault why has God done this to me how many times have I heard that why has God done this to me why has God made this happen God didn't make anything happen. God has allowed you to work in your logic and your natural reasoning until you'll come to a place of surrender. Because God wants to get in on the act. He cannot, the only way God can get in on your act is when you surrender. God will not dominate. God will not manipulate. God wants you to surrender. And when you surrender, then God can start his work. So Naomi was feeling this was all God's fault. If you're sitting here today blaming God for your circumstances, just stop. Because all you're going to do is make yourself more and more angry. It's not God's fault. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to bless you. His plans are for good and not to harm you. God's (laughs) plans are to give you a hope and to give you a future. That's what the Word of God says. And all the while you're blaming God, oh, it's God's fault. You might not be in your situation because of your choice. You might be in your situation because of divorce. You might be in your situation because of bankruptcy. You might be in your situation because of death or trauma or some other thing. It's not God's fault. God wants to get you out of there. He wants you to surrender in order to get you out of there. And all the while we blame God instead of looking at ourselves. What did I contribute to this situation? How did I get myself in this situation? What can I do to change in order to seek God and to bring God into this situation? Naomi could only see. She said, I went away full. What was she full of? She was was full of her own importance. She was full of her own abilities. She was full of her own ability to look after herself and her family. She was full of her own self-importance in their family. They were full of their own logic and reasoning in life. They were full of themselves. God can't do much with us when we're full of ourselves. He wants us empty. He wants us empty. He wants us to be able to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Calvary's done it all. I need you. He wants us to raise our hands in surrender. If you've gone away full and you've come back empty, hooray, you're there now. You're there now in a place where God can actually move in you. We've got to empty ourselves. And God will allow us, through situations and circumstances, to empty ourselves and come to the end of ourselves. The prodigal son had to come to the end of himself. Only when he came to his senses and decided to go home did things change. And God's waiting for that. He's waiting for us to come to our senses and say, I need to go home. I need to... What did the prodigal son say? I need to go back to my father. I need to go back to my father. And until we get to the place of saying, I need to go to my father will things begin to change. Our logic and our human reasoning will not change things for us. Only when we say, I need to go to my father. I want to show you um, somewhere, a, a portion of scripture which has meant so much to me in my life because God has taken me through this and it's in Hosea. And this is about how God dealt with unfaithful Israel. And for those of you who know the story, God told Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And then even when he married her, she continued to prostitute herself. And the whole book of Hosea is a love story of how, to win, how God wants to win back his people. And this is the way God does it. And this is what God had done to Naomi. And this is what God does with us. And God says what he will do. Then I will allure her and I will lead her into the desert and I will speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of Acor, that word Acor means trouble, into a gateway of hope. And she will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of calling me my master. What was God's plan for luring? Um, Uh, Israel back to himself and the church what was his plan for moving and bringing us back well first of all it was this everything God does has to come through submission so he wanted to lure her he wants God wants to lure us back he don't he will not dominate he will not manipulate he is calling he wants to allure he wants to draw you He wants you to see something about him that will actually enable you to want to come. Until we come to the end of ourselves, God is very limited as to what he can do. God will entice us. God will persuade us. How might he do that? Well, he might send someone along to talk to you. He might move you through a piece of music. He might just speak to you in a meeting. He might prompt you in an area of your life with the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In all of this, God is just trying to draw you God says draw me to draw near to me and what I'll draw near to you he's the onus is on us to come the onus is on us to surrender the second thing god will often do is he'll lead you into the wilderness god will so often allow us to move into a barren place and that's when we start to hear god because that's when we start to say i can't do this anymore i can't cope with this anymore and our own coping Coking, coping mechanisms will kick in, and when we get to that place, uh, God will often allow us, and when we 're in control and bent on living on our own logic and reasoning, God will let us keep going until we come to a place where we can hear him and the most The most crucial time in my life when this happened, and I know i 've mentioned this um, before, but when I was only twenty four I left here and I went to live in Zimbabwe and and um, God took me there and I first of all I uh, went to live just about near the on the border between um, uh, Zimbabwe and South Africa on the Limpopo River I was miles away from anywhere it was really dry and dusty down there the rivers were dry you had to dig in the river to get water it was really dry and dusty it was very barren we had three years of drought when I was there it didn't rain for three years I loved it But, (laughs) (laughs) but they didn't of course uh, and so um, I can remember I was in this um, in this mission hospital I didn't speak the language there was only one other person there who spoke English and she didn't like me can you imagine I, wasn't, I was unlikable in those days God has done amazing things can you imagine being taken to a, from here? I was part of Bromley, being taken from here to a remote place, six hundred miles south of Bulawayo, with only one person who speaks your language and she didn't like you. Well, that's a wilderness, I can assure you, that is a wilderness place. And I cried and I screamed and I kicked and I rebelled, and I 'm God, and I had no money. And God, if I had money, I 'd be out of here. Yeah. God, why have you put me in this place, God? God, I can't bear this. I can't bear it. She put me on night duty so she wouldn't have to work with me. And she did day duty and I did night duty. In a hot country, trying to sleep during the day. And I was just a wreck. I was nearly having a breakdown. And I cried out to God and I said, God, you know, I can't bear this. Get me out of here. I've got no money. I'll walk out of here if I have to. But God, I can't bear it. Take me out of here. And one morning I came off night duty and I was sitting in my bed eating my avocado on toast, and I remember very distinctly, I was only 24 years old, but God said to me, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And immediately I said, God, I give up, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, and in three days I was gone. Three days later they phoned up and said, can I move to somewhere else? You know, what was God waiting for? God had pinned me so tightly in a corner. He was, because he knew that if he did that, I would surrender. If he allowed that, I would surrender. And I surrendered that day, and that was the beginning of my transformation of my life. And God helped me through that and moved me away. And I know because of my personality, God had to really pin me down hard (laughs) to do that because I was very rebellious. And so God wants us to get to that place where we'll cry out. He'll take us into a wilderness place. So often our self-esteem is so low at that point that we can expect God to say, we're expecting God to say, well, I told you so. Well, I told you if you didn't do this, this would happen and that would happen. Um, but what does God say? He says through his mercy and his grace, he speaks. What does he say? There I will speak tenderly to her. God, When God speaks to you tenderly, it melts you. When God speaks tenderly to you, it will melt you. And it enables us to recognize our need of him. Then what did God do? Then just when we're hoping God's going to get us out of the situation intact, God says, no, I'm going to make you fruitful right where you are. He said, in the valley of Achor, he said, that's where I'm going to bless you. In your valley of trouble, that's where I'm going to bless you. That's where I want to free you. That's where I want to speak to you. In your situation right now, where you are, that's what I want to do for you. When you surrender to me, you'll start to hear me. And then I'm, don't, I'm not going to move you out of that situation because if I move you out of that situation, you'll brush yourself down and say, oh, that's great now. And you'll carry on on your own old way. God wants you to see him differently. Yes, come on. He says in that place, in that day, you'll no longer call me master, you'll call me husband. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference between a master and a husband? God says in the valley of Acor, there you will find your blessing. God's intention is to restore us. The difference between a master and a husband, a master is someone who is to be obeyed. A husband is someone who I'm told will speak tenderly to you. Uh, Is, Is that right? That's right. I can believe that about Prince. A master is someone who is to be obeyed. A husband is someone in whom you have a relationship. The most intimate relationship on this earth is between a husband and a wife. And God is saying, I don't want you to call me master. I don't want you to think that your life is about do's and don'ts and I can and I can't. I I want your life to be about a relationship with me. I want you to know me as your husband, your protector, your keeper, your provider, the one who speaks tenderly to you, the one who loves you above any other. And only when you start to see God in a different light will God then be able to move you out of your... The whole purpose of God keeping you in the valley of trouble is so that you start to see him differently. You go from blaming him. This is God's fault I'm here. Why has God allowed this? to actually recognising his love and his grace and his goodness. He's holding you there to enable you to surrender to him. And he's watching over you and he's keeping you there. Was it a coincidence that they came out of that place? It says, they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring in the time of the barley harvest. Was that a coincidence? No. God ordained that. God had planned that. You see, God's planning opportunities for you, from the moment you surrender. Yeah. He's planning opportunities. From the moment you surrender, in that time of your trouble and your difficulties, because of his love and your, his mercy towards you, he's going to start to create opportunities so that by the time they got back to Bethlehem, it was the harvest season, a time of fruitfulness, a time of abundance. Yeah, and they walked into that. They didn't plant any of that. They didn't have to grow any of that but actually God enabled them to eat of it. He provided for them. You know the story of the children of Israel when they were going to cross the Red Sea? It says God was working upstream. When they put their feet in the water, the waters parted, but because God had already been working upstream. God got there a few days before them, and He started slowing down the water upstream so that by the time they got there, there was going to be a clear pathway. God is always working. I told you last time, he sees the end from the beginning. He's waiting for us to come to that place of surrender so that he can then actually move us into a place of opportunity. He says, I will make the valley of Acor what? A door of hope. I will make your time of trouble and difficulty a door of hope so that actually while you're in there, when you come to that place of surrender, then you can move into your time of opportunity. And God will create those opportunities ready for you to walk into. <clears throat> when Naomi tried to send her daughter-in-law back, oh, sorry, daughters-in-law back to their families, she said this, she said, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word kindly is the word Hesed. Hesed. One of the things that I'm really passionate about and trying to teach in my job is to bring kindness back into the NHS. The one thing that we lack in the NHS is kindness. We've lost the ability to be kind. And I think a lot of what I do and a lot of what I teach is about how to be kind to people. I can't believe that I'm having to do this. I'm actually having to teach people how to be kind to people and what that really means. This word kindness in the Hebrew is the word hesed. It means loving kindness and favor. And these are not acts of kindness with the expectation of measure for measure. Rather, their acts acts of hesed go above and beyond. Acts of hesed go above and beyond. God's hesed toward us goes above and beyond. Isn't it exceedingly abundantly above anything we could think or ask? When we come to that place of surrender, she used that word. She said, may God be hesed toward you. May God be kind to you over and above everything you've done for me not measure for measure not you've been kind to me up to number two so I'll ask God to be kind back to you up to number two no I'll ask God to be kind to you up to number 10 and number 20 metaphorically speaking God wants to be kind to us we until we really understand the nature of God we'll be kicking and screaming against God and blaming him for everything instead of recognizing when we're in that time of trouble he wants to us to know him as husband He doesn't want us to know him as master. That's legalistic religion. Knowing God as master is legalistic religion. God wants to know us through relationship. And he wants to use the valley of achor, the valley of trouble, the difficult times, to open up a door of hope and a door of opportunity because we've surrendered and come to know him in a different way. God wants to be kind to us. Not only did, and I'll finish with this, not only did... Um, And we'll be going into this, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Not only did um, um, the guy Boaz, not only did Boaz redeem Naomi and Ruth, he redeemed their land. He redeemed everything that was there. He went above and beyond. He showed that kindness. He didn't just say, Well, you've come back, you need a place, uh, and I'll look after you. He said, I will restore to you everything that was yours originally before you ever left here. Church, I really believe God is speaking to us this morning. I really believe it doesn't matter how long you've been going on in God, it's really important to keep up that surrender. You know, sometimes, on a regular basis, I'll just come, God, I surrender again. I surrender again. I surrender again. Because if I want to get myself out of the situation or change the situation I'm in, I know the only way to do it is through surrender. When I let go, when I surrender God then you will create opportunities for me. Amen.